Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to Chapter 96 of the Corona Diaries. I'm going to let you into a secret... Your favourite singer is guzzling tequila like a man possessed. <laughs> Bloody hell. What? <laughs> did, did that hit oh, the spot? Oh, tells you the world are good, though. I bet it does. <laughs> He's swigging it out of the bottle, ladies and gents. Uh, uh, well, it's the week of release. Indeed. I've, so there's, there's a lot on. There's a lot on. <laughs> I've happened. There's a lot on. Um, we're we're going to bring you a bit of a strange... TCD, as opposed to a normal TCD. We're going to bring you a bit of a strange TCD. Yeah, you're not going to be ready for that. No, not at all. Not at all. We've got previous. Um, And so what it's going to mean is we're going to do a little bit, and then we're going to do a diary, and then we're going to do something a bit special. But all will become clear. But before Mm. we get there, we've got a few bits we need to talk about. Um, First things first. If you're a patron and you haven't listened to the Odds and Sodcast for February, then stop what you're doing, including stopping this, actually. Stop this now and go and listen to the Odds and then come back to this because there's something really exciting on the Odds. And if you're a patron who doesn't normally get the extra content because you're a Roots, you've got it this time. Stop what you're doing. Go and listen to it. And that's because you came up with a great idea, but we're not going to say anything about the idea. No. But you you had a great idea, and it's all <laughs> contained in that piece of extra content. So if you're a purple or a root and you haven't listened, stop now, go and listen to that first, because it involves you having to do stuff. Mm. So that was that. Next thing, if you're purple or root, it's Friday, which means that you have got the album. Mm. And if you're everybody else, it's Monday, and you've also got the album. Yes, you've had it for a couple of days. You've had it for a couple of days. So this is the album release episode, really. I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. It's not like postcards, is it? You're not, you haven't, you haven't had to put names and addresses and stamps on all of them. I I haven't done these on my own. Right. No, no, fortunately. <laughs> I only do the postcard. <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> if, if you'd have had to do the 12,000 pre-orders. If I'd have done them on my own, of course, I w- I would have drawn each one of those daisies separately <laughs> myself. <laughs> the, How big I'd would your spreadsheet have been? I'd have had the coloured paints out. And <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you'd have had to have a whole new set of sharpies, wouldn't you? Coloured sharpies. Not off. Not off. Yeah. I ought to. Maybe I ought to suggest <laughs> colours now on the postcards, but that might throw you over the edge. Well, you could fuck <laughs> off. I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, before we get started, anyway, happy happy album release episode 
Mr. H. Congratulations. Hey. Yeah, that's well. Now I'm going to have a little drink. Yes. I've even got a, I've got a reason. You've got a reason to, to, to drink this. now. Mm. I'll do a bit of padding mm. while he has another swig. It's all done. It's out there. It's all done. New music with the punter, the punters. It's there. Mm. It's happened. Wow! Amazing, isn't it? Honestly, everyone who's heard it has is, is, is done backflips. Yeah. so far. Yeah, even all the kind of hard-nosed journalists. So fingers crossed. We've got the high hopes. We have high hopes. High hopes in that very Frank Sinatra kind of way. High hopes, but sort of. Tethered to the ground by bitter experience. So as a bit of a lead-in, and we'll move on for the, from the album, because we'll come back to the album uh, in, in, in mm-hmm. future episodes, but as a bit of, t- of a lead-in to what we're going to talk about tonight, I have one question for you before we go to an early diary reading, which mm. is, when did you become interested in space? Hmm. When did I become interested in space? Well, I think um, it must have been around. I mean, I was very young. It must have been round about the, the the time of the Gemini. Uh, I mean, I I heard about Gagarin, um, but I I'm not sure how engaged I was in it because I was so young at that point. But I heard about him. Do you know Ian Mosley saw Yuri Gagarin? Did he? Um, in Highgate um, Cemetery. Um, because I think Carl, I think the tomb of Karl Marx is in. It Highgate is indeed Cemetery. in Highgate Cemetery. And Ian used Ian used to live up there, and when he was a kid, he said he went to Highgate Cemetery because he'd heard that Yuri Gagarin was visiting, um, the 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 tomb of Karl Marx, and he went and he saw Yuri Gagarin, uh, go go by, you know, in the open top car waving, um. So Mosley's got a couple of years on me, so so I was just a bit too young to understand the significance of it, maybe, or or to really for it to really pierce through. But then I think it all got onto my radar with the Gemini uh, program. Um, you know, that being American, it got a bit more media attention than than, than the Russians. Um, and then, of course, the 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 Apollo program and the moonshot, um, you know, they, they made quite a lot of that on TV. So I, I I was quite engaged in 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 that, um, like I guess everybody else who was around. And and I did, the, my mum and dad did get me out of bed in the middle of the night. Uh, or what felt like the middle of the night. I was definitely in bed, and they got me up to come downstairs and 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 watch Neil walk down the ladder. Yeah, you know, on the on that grainy TV. I mean, even the BBC News Studio stuff was fairly grainy back then. You know, even the the, <laughs> the high def, the high def was pretty duff. Uh, so the uh, the high the, duff. I do. Yeah, the 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 footage of Neil going down the ladder was, you know, required a certain amount of squinting and imagination. And you go, oh, yeah, that is a person, isn't it? Um, 
you know, for the whole world, what kind of watched that happen? And holy shit, there's a man on the mm. moon. Um, I never imagined in my wildest, wildest dreams I would get to meet him um, and get to know him. Mm. Um, incredible. And, and I never imagined in my wildest dreams I'd get to know any of his family. And, and now I'm kind of mates with Rick. So that's beautiful and incredible. And it came about from a chance meeting in in the street after a, a show in Columbus, Ohio. Well, we'll get on to that because the reason we're talking about space is um, the diary reading for this week concerns Neil, uh, concerns Neil and Rick, actually. So um, it, it's hence the reason for what seemed like a random question on album launch episode that I should ask you about space. And, of course, I mean, for for me, I mean, I just missed it. I was born in 71, so it, it doesn't have the same kind of thing for me because I, I do. I think you had to live through it in real time. I mean, my first space thing was around the shuttles with the whole thing of it mm. coming back to Earth and, you know, and landing. And I remember that being a huge thing when the first shuttle went up and then came back and kind of touched down like a plane. Mm. Um, but I, I wasn't around for the, the old walking on the, the moon bit, uh, which must have been incredible. I mean, to, you know, to see that play out. It was. It was so incredible that there's loads of people that can't even believe it yeah. happened. You know, they still believe it was impossible and they didn't do it. Um, but they did do it because I've heard it all from the horse's mouth. Mm. Um, and the the diary reading um, today is is the day I met Neil for the first time. I, I'd met Rick, and we we'd swapped a few a few mails and messages, and then uh, Rick contacted me one day and said, uh, "Oh, you know, you know how my dad's mad for golf." And I, oh yeah, and he said, "Well, you know, we're all a bit mad for golf as Armstrongs, and we're 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 coming over." to um to play in um come on steve what's in it what's it called the famous golf course st andrews st andrews we're coming we're coming over to to play the st andrews course which is like a, a religious experience for golf fanatics um and we're we're flying in to uh gatwick next sunday and then we're transferring on a bus to heathrow and we'll be going to Heathrow Airport at nine nine a.m. Sunday morning. And if you know, if you wanted to meet Dad, we'll be there. Why don't you swing by and say hi? So I said, "Well, I'll have to think about it." You know, for about a nanosecond. <laughs> <laughs> so we were there, you know, uh, like like a shot. Um, me and Dizzy Spell and and, and Sophie and Nile. Um, we're all there hanging about in Terminal 1 waiting for him to show up and they'd been delayed and then the bus was late. Can you imagine Neil Armstrong on a bus? I'm just standing there thinking, surely surely they carry him around on a cushion. He doesn't get on buses, <laughs> does he? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like imagining Prince on the National Express, isn't it? It just doesn't happen. They're, they're two different universes. Uh, but no, Neil got on buses. I mean, he was such a, if you pardon the expression, down-to-earth human yeah. being. Um, 
And so they got on the bus from Gatwick and they were really late. And when they arrived, they were all sweaty and anxious. And uh, and they missed the flight that they were supposed to, the connecting flight up to Glasgow, that they were too late. And I'll never forget, I don't know if I say it all in the diary because being a pro, I haven't read it. Uh, did I did I say how I watched him checking in and the, the checking? You, you did. You, do you know? I'm going to stop you before you actually yeah, sh- do yeah, it stop all. Stop me. Stop me. And yeah, well, let's go me. to that diary piece because we'll come back and we'll have a longer conversation after it. But let's go to the diary piece because it's important for today that we get that in fairly early. So I'll let you take up the story at Heathrow. Fair enough. This is the day I met Neil Armstrong. Sunday, 11th of June. Home, Heathrow. Lunch with Rick and Neil. The alarm shook us both out of a deep sleep at 7.15, much too early to be getting up on a Sunday. Our Sundays are usually fairly laid-back affairs these days, mooching round the house and waking up slowly while the kids watch a video on TV. But today... Coincidence has brought us something very exciting in prospect. Upon his suggestion, I had arranged to meet Rick Armstrong, who would be on his way to Scotland from Cincinnati for a week's golfing holiday with his dad, Neil Armstrong, the internationally renowned astronaut and, of course, the first man to set foot on the moon. They were arriving at Gatwick and then taking the bus to Heathrow for the onward flight to Glasgow, so I had arranged for us all to meet up with him in Terminal 1 at 9.30. To say the Armstrongs are keen golfers would be something of an understatement. I suppose they must be to endure an almost 24-hour journey to the first tee. I just don't get it. To get to Heathrow for 9.30, we were going to have to be away from the house by 8.30 latest. Sophie was staying over with a friend in the next village, so I had to drive over and pick her up. Shortly after the alarm clock sounded its quartz ceramic squawk, both Sue and I realised that neither of us knew where Sophie's friend, Alana, surname unknown, lived, and we didn't have a number for her either. A typical Hogarth harebrained master plan developed, which involved yours truly staying in bed to think while Sue ransacked Sophie's room in the hope of gaining clues as to her whereabouts. Fortunately, while I was thinking, the phone rang, and it was Sophie to say she would meet me at eight o'clock in the high street, so I threw some rags on and jumped in the car. When I arrived, I was greeted by seven or eight girls, still in their pyjamas with sleeping bags and duvets wrapped around them, who'd come to wave Sophie off. There was much giggling as we waved bye-bye, and then we returned home. Everyone bundled into the car, and we drove to Heathrow Terminal 1, parked the car, and arrived on time in the terminal at 9.30. No sign of Rick and Neil, though. We hung around for half an hour or more, wondering if we'd got the wrong end of the stick with the arrangements. Eventually, and to our relief, the boys appeared in the terminal, looking somewhat anxious and perspiring under the weight of the golf clubs. There was a brief nod of greeting from Rick, while Neil joined the queue at the check-in desk. 
time was tight and they might not make the flight. Everything about this seemed bizarre to me. Neil Armstrong, for heaven's sake, flying to Gatwick, then sitting on a shuttle bus, and then queuing up to board a flight from Heathrow to Glasgow. I would have expected him to be carried around like the Pope, but nope, he just lives like an ordinary chap. When he got to the front of the queue, I watched a disinterested check-in girl open his passport, read his name, look at his face, and check in the golf clubs and bags without raising an eyebrow. I felt like running over there and saying, Have you any idea who this man is? Fame sure is a funny thing. Rick and Neil came over to us with bad news for them, and excellent news for us. They had missed the connection, and the next flight wasn't for another two hours. Does anyone fancy brunch? said that same voice which I heard say, one small step for a man, all those years ago. So we went up onto the mezzanine balcony and sat down at a table in Garfunkel's restaurant. I sat next to Rick and Niall sat next to Neil. We ate pizza and salad while Niall told the old man all about his new bicycle. Neil seemed genuinely fascinated by my little boy's story. What a lovely chap. I decided I'd be the first stranger he's met not to say, so what was it like then? Although every fibre of me was bursting to hear the moonshot firsthand. I'm a little proud that we didn't grill the guy. We just chatted away about the journey from Cincinnati to Gatwick and allowed everybody to relax. Eventually Neil got around to reminiscing a little. Not about Apollo 11, but about the picnic on the North Pole. The test pilots in the astronaut program were an elite within the elite and were afforded the perk of being able to sign out a plane for leisurely pursuits on their days off. Neil and his fellow astronaut trainees decided it might be cool to have lunch on the North Pole. They requisitioned a plane with snow skids, packed the hampers and flew there. He told us the smoothest ice is the ice nearest to the water and so, having found a suitable place to land, they did so without incident and commenced unpacking and enjoying the picnic. At some point we turned around to discover that the ice beneath the plane had softened and the plane had descended down into the ice. The wings were now at ground level. He paused for a smile. Well, fortunately... There are research stations at the North Pole and we managed to explain our situation and hitch a ride home on another plane. What happened to the plane you'd borrowed? I asked. Oh, it's still there. I guess it just carried on down. We chatted more about the balmy conspiracy theorists who don't believe Apollo 11 went to the moon. I think Buzz ended up punching one guy out, he said. And he told us about the X-15 rocket plane, which, during earlier preliminary missions, he had to fly back to Earth from the edge of space whilst bolted onto the underside wing of a B-52 bomber. That was a difficult one, he said. The wings had to be very small so they wouldn't tear off when the rocket fired. Unfortunately, that made it not terribly airworthy. On one occasion, I skipped out of the atmosphere and not only missed the landing site, but almost missed America altogether.
Incidentally, to my knowledge, I actually hold NASA's record for farthest landing from a designated splashdown site. During the aborted Gemini 8 mission, we landed in the wrong ocean. He seemed quite proud of this fact and maintained that it was a record which was unlikely ever to be broken. We also talked about his most dangerous moment during training for the flight of the lunar module. He ejected from the flying bedstead one second before it crashed to the ground at Ellington Air Force Base in Houston. Oddly enough, the closest he came to death in his professional life. When our time was up, Neil insisted on picking up the bill for lunch. He wouldn't let us contribute. What a cool and lovely guy. He had indeed spent as much time listening to Niall's account of his new bicycle as he had regaling us with stories of his own life. Once again, I couldn't help but feel for Rick. It can't have been easy growing up in that shadow. All things considered, Rick seems a stable, self-confident chap. It's a miracle. I never did get to hear Neil's recollections of the moon landing firsthand, although I've heard about it over the years from Rick. How Buzz overloaded the computer because he didn't turn off the rendezvous radar to the command module as they commenced their descent to the moon. I guess he didn't fancy burning the bridge to his ride home. Unfortunately, the computer, having the processing power of an old Casio watch, didn't have the memory to run the rendezvous radar and the landing radar at the same time, so it crashed, leaving Neil no choice but to land the thing manually famously, and almost tragically, nearly running out of fuel in the process. I later heard that, during one of his many American university lectures, a student asked Mr. A how he felt as he traversed the lunar boulder field, trying to find a spot to land, and listening to Mission Control counting down the seconds of available fuel left. 60 seconds. 30 seconds. He grinned, and in his measured Ohio drawl said, Well, you know how when the fuel gauge on your automobile says zero, there's always a little gas left in the tank. Postscript Before we said goodbye, I offered to give the chaps a lift to Gatwick when they returned from St Andrews later in the week. I couldn't face the thought of them being bundled onto another coach. As it turned out, their flight back to Heathrow from Glasgow was delayed by a computer problem at air traffic control, and, with the connection from Gatwick to Cincinnati at risk, we raced round the M25 in the outside lane at not much under 100 miles an hour, Rick in the passenger seat and Neil in the back with the golf clubs. I kept glancing in the rearview mirror and thinking, holy fuck, I've got Neil Armstrong in the back of my car. It'd be a shame if I'm the one to kill him after all he's been through. So I asked one of the dumbest questions I've ever asked. Is it okay that I'm driving this fast? Bearing in mind this question was addressed to a man who had calmly sat on a skyscraper full of several million litres of liquid oxygen, hydrogen and kerosene exploding beneath him and projecting him skyward into space. After a slight pause for thought, I heard the familiar voice coolly drawl, That's fine.
And we're back. <laughs> and, and that was the diary reading about the, the day that you met Neil Armstrong and you met Rick Armstrong. And here's the surprise, folks. There's no better way to celebrate that diary reading than to have Rick with us on the call. So can I welcome Rick Armstrong? Hi, Rick. How are you? Very good. How's it going? Good to be We're, here. Well, I'm really good. And H, and H is on the tequila. Uh. And, and and literally that's that's sweet number four. Um, Not that anybody's I, counting. That bottle's already gone since before I got on. <laughs> oh dear. I, I, I think we're measuring it in fingers rather than finger. <laughs> okay. Thanks for finding the time to join us. Um, and we'll we'll dig straight in. Um, when was when did you guys first meet? Answer that question, Rick. I'll, well, my version. So I think we agree on 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 this. Um, it was uh, in Columbus uh, on a show on the Afraid of Sunlight tour, summer of '95, I think. Um, sounds right. And uh, it was. Uh, I'd seen a couple of. I, I saw the Seasons End tour and the uh, Holidays tour, uh, but never occurred to me to try to go talk to anybody uh didn't know that was even a thing uh but the way that this venue was laid out when you left sort of went out through the parking lot and the, where my car was parked was further down the street and i saw all these people hanging about and i'm like what why are you hanging out oh we might be able to meet some of the band i'm like oh well okay i i'll see how that goes i i hung out and sure enough uh I know I know Rothers came out and AH came out. I don't not sure about anybody else. Um and I, I did something that I never really do, which is I went up and sort of introduced myself and said something about how much that album meant to me because I got the sense that it was somewhat about the, the price of fame and I knew something about that. And uh and I told him who my dad was, and I don't usually do that because you don't want to get the uh, reaction like "who" or you know <laughs> "so what" or <laughs> it kind of does leave you with no place to go after that. So it's has that ever happened? Uh, well, probably not. But I don't. No, ever, I can't imagine. <laughs> it's the only time that I can think of that I ever did it. Um, <laughs> And 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 his, fortunately, his reaction was totally opposite of that. He was, I was, I tell it better than I, but he he was in, enthusiastic about that piece of information. Well, yeah, it went from there. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember you saying to me, um, "You'd done a publicity shot for this album with because we'd done this strange publicity shot with me with, in fairy wings and." Peter, I was dressed as Napoleon. And then we'd go all these these lookalikes. We'd go OJ Simpson and Mike Tyson and um so we our and Elvis. So it was a photo session of people who'd who'd been um who'd had to cope with the high levels of fame. Um and being that 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 lonely thing that, that you become when 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 you're famous to the extreme. And so I'd done a photo session with all of these lookalike characters, uh, and and I had an astronaut in the in the photograph as well because 
there used to be this rumor that, that Buzz Aldrin had gone a bit crazy after he got back down from the moon. Now, I have it on good authority, he was, he was crazy before he went. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> not wouldn't from Rick. Wouldn't have used not those terms, no. no. No, no, but you know, you know what I'm like. Um, I do. So, so uh, I kind of, obviously I did that in total ignorance because I, I, I never knew or was anywhere near any of it. But, but I put an astronaut in the, in the photo shoot for that reason. And Rick said to me, you know, who who did you imagine the astronaut was in the photo shoot? And I said, oh, I imagine it was Buzz Aldrin. And he said, oh, okay, because this album's a bit like the story of my dad's life. And I said, this is the way I remember it. Tell me if I'm wrong. And, and I said, well, who's your dad then? And he said, Neil Armstrong. And I said, hang on a minute. I'm going to have to sit down. <laughs> and... Uh, it that could have was been kind of, that way. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> that, that was the way I remembered it. Um, and um, and so I think at that point you asked me if I minded if uh, if your girlfriend was she your girlfriend at the time or were you yeah. already married? Yeah. She was your girlfriend, hey, yeah. Yeah, Karen. Um, would you mind if if my girlfriend took a photograph of the two of us together? I said sure. So he tucked me under his arm like a glove puppet, <laughs> and uh, there's. There was a. Uh, she took our photograph, and I said to him, "Look, you know, I, I'd be I'd be really honoured if you'd send me a copy of that." Uh, and I, I I gave Rick my home address, and he said, "Sure, I'll send you a copy of it." And when I got back home at the end of that tour, um, sure enough, there was a cardboard tube from America, and I opened it up, and there was a picture of Rick and I, and standing in the in the street in Columbus, Ohio. But there was all also a, a NASA photograph of his dad in the spacesuit uh, that was dedicated to me, and it said uh, to a fellow flight enthusiast, uh, Neil Armstrong, which completely blew my mind, and I, I couldn't believe uh, I couldn't believe that you'd been so generous as to ask him to do that because I know he he wasn't really in the habit of doing it. And um, I was just so chuffed to bits that he dedicated it to me, and it's still on the wall. It's still on the wall in the next room, you know. To this, well, day. he had he had stopped signing autographs at that point, so I did have to sort of strategize on on how I was going to ask him to get to get the best chance of uh, of him saying yes. But yeah, but well, it's it's. Uh, I mean, when I got divorced, I think I only really worried about that and. The pink Telecaster and the Hi-Fi, you know, and I, I, that, that went out the door. That went out the door first, <laughs> and I kind of, I thought, okay, I don't mind if, if I leave the rest, really. So that's that's ninety-five then. So how are the two of you keeping in touch? Is that email or is that? Were you writing? It was a regular mail at first, I believe, because uh, I remember him sending me some pictures from uh, the Brave recording sessions. It's like the, the castle. Uh, Did I really? So I remember getting some pictures about that. From Maryland. Uh, so, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was actually regular snail mail, though, for a little bit, uh, and, and then somehow transitioned over to email. Uh, we, we were pen pals. I was just about to say that. You were pen pals. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's nice, isn't it? 
I think that's brilliant. It's almost like, you know, one of you was the exchange student and you just carried on writing. <laughs> I guess in between then, that's 95, This the diary entry is 2000, so there's five years in between. Do you hook up in between? Was there a, was there a, Were you in the US in between, age? Yeah, they were. Was, was uh, I? The uh, Tour Fun Tour. Yes, uh, of course. Um, and I think there, I think there was another time. Um, the Strange Engine Tour was that the same as the Tour Fun Tour? Or was that was the same one, wasn't it? Same. The Strange Engine Tour yeah. was the Tour Fun yeah. Tour, wasn't it? There was a time when you came to Cincinnati, but that might have been Marbles. That, that was later, yeah, because yeah, that, that was after the meeting in Heathrow. Because the second time I met, I met your dad. Uh, was was in Cincinnati. But, but you came the one time when you came to Cincinnati and they dropped you off downtown <laughs> and you and you and you walked to the venue, which which we're lucky that he's still with us after that walk. Uh, it was quite a bit longer, I think, than you expected. I but, did tr- I trundled my back through that, some that really was... colourful neighbourhoods yeah. <laughs> with, with, with like washing machines in the front gardens and <laughs> <laughs> surly individuals <laughs> looking at how <laughs> you thinking, oh, because, you know, there's the thing about America that English people sometimes don't, don't get onto is that just because something's on a certain main street doesn't mean it's not four miles away because uh, those streets just keep going. And yeah. uh, so I came out of the station and I was on whatever street the gig was on. So that Vine was Street, lot, yeah. Lot, what was it? Vine. Vine. Right, okay, yeah, Vine. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'll walk to it. Anyway, <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. And then uphill, after, <laughs> uphill, yeah, <laughs> and and through various neighbourhoods where where you look where you kind of feel like you might get shot, right? Uh, and I just kept going. Thinking, well, this gig's got to be up here somewhere. <laughs> um, so you managed to hook up Torf and Torf once or twice, yeah, between once or twice, yeah. Yep. And you, and um, so by the time we get to two thousand, are we on email then? The the arrangements for this for this day. Because surely you you can't arrange it. You can't arrange a dinner a dinner date with a one hour window via mail, can you? No, this was this was wonders of email at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah it was and going it wasn't arranged. It was it was impromptu. It, it wasn't arranged. It never would have happened, but for the fact that uh, Rick and Neil were late and had missed their connection up to mm. Glasgow and had to wait for the next one, which gave them a couple of hours to kill in mm. Terminal One. So you know we were we were all ready to jump in the car and go home and and I think Neil says anybody hungry you fancy lunch, so we all went, yeah, <laughs> and off and off we went upstairs to Garfunkel's uh, so that Niall could tell Neil all about his new bike for about an hour, which mm-hmm. he proceeded to do. <laughs> <laughs> Has Niall got any memory of that? I don't think he has to be honest because he was very he was he was pretty young back yeah. then. He was he, he was he was only a, um I don't know, I don't know how old he would have been. He's 30 now. Let's do the maths. Um <laughs> would have been about 8 then, wouldn't he? I was going to say 7 or 8 would be would yeah. be my guess from yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he remembers. I haven't asked. I'll ask him. Well, I mean at that point in his life his bike probably was more important than the, you know, the first man to set foot on the moon. 
Yeah, fair it enough. It was, and and what was lovely about Neil was that that I think he listened to Niall's story about his new bike with every bit as he gained every bit as much pleasure out of hearing about that as he would have, you know, anybody else telling him anything else. He was he was he he, he really sat and listened to him and engaged with him, and it was beautiful to see. Hmm. There's a there's a a lovely bit in the diary where you mention H that um um Neil was checking in and and just going about his business as if you know and and, and nobody really recognised who he was was that a thing Rick it. was he able to just go yeah, around he, and he he t- tended not to get recognised uh, real fast yeah uh, what ten what would happen would be and this was more right you know soon after apollo 11 maybe so then later but you you tried to go out to dinner and uh you just be trying to mind your own business and then you'd see somebody from across you know a few tables over kind of looking looking back like i know who i know do i know that person i should know right and you'd see that a few times and then somebody would recognize them and come over and you know say could i have your autograph mr armstrong and then as soon as that happened, it was like the floodgates would open yeah, yeah. because that would that would then trigger all these other people. Yeah. Uh, and you just get swarmed uh, or definitely could I, get swarmed I, to the point where you had to leave because you couldn't eat your dinner anymore. I call yeah. those moments fish food moments, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you throw the food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but most of the time he, he, he could walk around uh, uh and no, nobody would know. And of course, he never wore anything that would, uh, you know, he, he never wore an Apollo Eleven T-shirt, no, or no, no, jacket no. or anything like that that no. would call attention to him. Um, so yeah, he, he he liked it that way. So literally, it's just those moments where you're in somewhere for an extended period of time, so somebody could do more than the double take and work it out, kind of vibe. Yeah, <laughs> I remember being a, in a shoe store once in the. Uh, paying for it, it's just it's just him and I, and and the cashier's looking at him, and he looks at the uh, maybe he paid cash, I can't remember. What he, he looks at him and he goes, Did anybody ever tell you you look like Neil Armstrong? <laughs> he said, Occasionally, <laughs> and then we walked out the store. <laughs> uh, that was it. <laughs> I think that was great. <laughs> I get that thing where people go, it's you. And I go, I know. <laughs> <laughs> do you do it That's with that face? Because that was quite terrifying. It's always a good one. <laughs> so so you ended up having an nice lunch at, uh, at Heathrow and a bit of a chat. We did. Um, and then you, you, you decide, H, that there's no possible way that they have, they can jump on a coach on the way back and go around the M25 when you can show for them. I'm still struggling with the notion of Neil Armstrong on, on a coach. Well, that was the that was the way back. That it was, was the way the, back, yeah. So, I, I what I, the thing I remember from uh, the mm. the first visit is when we were going out, or maybe they were getting out of car in any way. There was this the uh, the radar thing or whatever that was use i think and cover my eyes in the video and he made sure to point out that that's the one right there it's like cool i didn't know that uh, yeah that's but the, then, yeah. then we went off to scotland and then when we came back uh, we weren't planning to meet because we didn't have 
you know, much of a connection time. Yeah. But there was this sort of massive air traffic control outage from what I remember that morning. And so all the flights were delayed. And we got to the point where uh, we had to do a transfer from Heathrow down to Gatwick. And we originally had, you know, enough time to get the bus and everything. But now we didn't have time to get the bus uh, to even have a chance to make it. So, um, so, and I don't remember, did I ask you? I didn't ask you to drive us down, no, did I? It was just no, letting you, you know. Didn't. He volunteered to uh, see, to see if we could make it. Uh, we we only lived about twenty yeah. minutes from the airport back then, so jumping in the car and getting a Heathrow was. Oh no, I'm talking bollocks. No, we did. We lived out there, didn't we? No, we did live. We did live live an hour away, but but I, I mean, I was more than happy to jump mm. in the car and get over there. Um, well, particularly as we found out last week, you just got out. You just escaped a driving ban. I had at that point. Yeah, yeah. I just got out of court. <laughs> that was last week's diary. H having his hair cut so he doesn't get a driving ban proved to be quite handy for a couple of weeks later. Well, that's why I didn't drive faster than I did. <laughs> there was there was an element of caution. You didn't mention that in court, did you? You didn't say, uh, look, you never know when I might need to take an astronaut around the M25. No, I never said that. All right, okay. That's a bit of a shame. He was saving that for something to fall back on if needed. <laughs> so the one thing that we don't find out through the diary, how was the golf? Oh, the golf was great, yeah. I love, love I mean, Scotland is, is a lot of fun to play. Hmm. It's, it's weird because, you know, you... You get a lot of wind and some rain, but usually it's a lot of wind. Mm. And in weather that if you were here, if I'm looking out the window and saying, seeing the same kind of weather, I would like play golf. You got to be kidding me. It's ridiculous. But in there, you know, the last time I was there, I can remember sitting around the breakfast table and there were actually uh, uh, gale force wind warnings, 50 mile an hour plus winds, 30 miles sustained. And we're all sitting around the breakfast table going, yeah, I think we could do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it snowed, as I recall. Um, do you see the ball again yeah. after you've teed off? Yeah. Is, it just, yeah. is it just a one-off? Yeah. And it... <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's a, just a, such a different experience that it makes you behave and think differently. Had your dad played golf in Scotland before? Was this a first trip or yeah, something? Yeah, he, he'd been lots of times. Uh, originally... Uh, there was a group associated with GE Aviation uh, that went, and I think it was probably, you know, key GE guys and key partners. Mm. And he usually would get invited to go on those trips. And the, it wasn't, in, and he did that for years, you know, like every two years, I think. Uh, and then at some point they got old enough and they had adult sons. So the son started getting invited Uh and uh, this was one of those where, yeah, it was great. So I, I still struggled to understand why someone would put themselves through that amount of grief to, to knock a ball into a hole. It's, it's there a we are. Thing to explain. Sometimes <laughs> when you're doing it, you're wondering the same thing. <laughs> it's always that good shot that brings you back. <laughs> you were saying earlier on, Rick, before, before we started recording, that that, that meeting uh, ended up being quite, a, a big deal 
Yeah, yeah. Looking back on it, uh, in terms of of as I've sort of come to learn, uh, Marillion has a lot of connections to a lot of other uh, uh, a lot of other musicians and a lot of other people. Uh, it's, it's a small, you know, sort of smaller community than than we might think of when you're over in the U.S. And so, I've met a lot of people. You know, musicians that I'm fans of, and I've got to play with some. Uh, I've gotten to do things, and and probably even leading to you know uh, being in Edison's children with with uh, with Pete and and Eric, and and doing my own electronic music stuff. It, it all sort of traces back, I think, to that to that first meeting. Uh, so it's it's I sort of just stopped to think about it. It's had you know, sort of a huge impact on my life, uh, you know, for the better much, uh, that may not have happened at all. Had I not, you know, broke my rule about, you know, not, not saying who I was related to. Um, I'm glad I broke my rule. It worked out really well for me. Well, I, I'm glad you broke. It was me. Yeah. And, you know, not Steve Tyler or somebody else. <laughs> I'm not convinced that would have worked quite as well, would it really? No, well, probably not. No. Who knows? But the the bit I didn't know until you said tonight, which actually really does make a lot of sense, though, is particularly that album. You know, particularly with it being Afraid of Sunlight, particularly being mm-hmm. what that album talked to and, and how it, you know, and, and what it was based upon. It, it does seem almost fate, really. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not a sort of direct connection because a lot of you know the people like that are referred to in King, you know, that all sort of, you know met bad ends. Uh, you know, Dad didn't meet a bad end like that, uh, but but it it did it did resonate with me about that you know that there is there is price to be paid for fame and, and how, how that gets paid is, you know, case specific, but, mm. uh, yeah, it just really, it really, I, I can't to this day tell you exactly how it, it, uh, did what it did, but, um, I mean, like you say, I mean, I mean, it's really fortunate that, that the, there was nothing about the story that had a darker edge with your dad. Um, but for a moment he was, you know, he was the center of the world, wasn't he? For, 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 for a period yeah it, it's still hard for me to see that yeah uh, um uh, and and i mean i understand when people say that i can see why but i don't feel it yeah uh and, and the way i typically describe it is just sort of being inside the bubble yeah so yeah. i'm inside the bubble and so life uh for us growing up in the space program is just normal mm-hmm. we didn't really think about didn't really comprehend uh, you know the level of interest all over the world uh, in any way that affected us. Just dad's going to work, right? Um, this is all I've ever known. He's e- he's either been a test pilot or an astronaut for my whole life, so that just seems like any other job to me. Um, so I still, you know, I I may never completely understand it, the way people talk about it, uh, mm. but that's okay. And do you know what? I think it's probably great that you don't get it, if that makes sense, because it's your dad. Right. Which is which is exactly how it should be. Um, but, yeah. Um, w- the bit I, d- I missed right at the beginning was 
you said you saw Marine on the season's end. When when did you actually start liking the band? With Misplaced Childhood. Right. Um, back in the old days when you used to uh, actually go to record stores and look yeah. at albums. And, browse. Yeah. Uh, browse them, right? So being a progressive rock guy, you go hunting for uh things and you you know you'd look at the cover and the name and you'd look at the personnel on the back and what instruments they played and you'd look at the song titles and you'd evaluate these albums based on that if you didn't have anything else to go by and every now and then something will strike you as being oh i think i'll take a risk i'm gonna buy that album without having heard it um i'll take a chance on this one because i think it'll win and that's what i did with miss white shot uh and and i loved it the first moment i first time I played it. And that doesn't happen very often. Usually you have to get accustomed mm. to an album to get comfortable with what's coming to know whether you, how you really feel about it. But I love that album right away. So I followed them and then uh, Clutching at Straws came out. I was in Hawaii at that time. Um, and when uh, when Fish left, I had no idea, right? So you, 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 there was no internet or anything so you didn't know when another band's album was coming out so you just go to the store and look and i remember i was in indianapolis uh on a business meeting and we had some extra time we stopped uh there's a record store i was going in and we go see if there's anything new from early and not having any reason to think that there was but you just just look and uh and there was season's end and uh i'm like yes took it home opened it up who's this steve hogarth guy I, it's like it was sort of crushing in the media because I didn't, you know, I didn't have any idea that that there had been a change. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to it, and and the first time through, it's like, okay, the difference is so distinctive. It's like I I don't know how I feel about this, but I listen to it again, and after about five times, I'm like, okay, I think I think everything's gonna be okay. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really liking this album. And then they uh, they came uh, to Cincinnati on that. I remember, it was uh, it was in February. Uh, I remember, it was in the winter, uh, and I had not seen them live other than uh, some video that I had my dad get on one of his previous trips to Scotland. I said, "Go to, go to the video store and see if you can find them really in concert." Because that's <laughs> and he found one, but we forgot that it was PAL and not NTSC. <laughs> So all right. when I played it on the tape, I couldn't see anything. Yeah, uh, could hear it all right. But anyway, um, so we went to the uh went to the season of the tour and thought it was great. It was, I mean, the, the thing that I can remember uh about H was that he was like, he's just doing his thing. He's not trying to be fish. He's not, you know, he's he doesn't have any guidelines apparently that you know that he feels he needs to go by. He's just doing his thing. Uh, that really came over well uh with me and i think with anybody i talked to about it they all sort of said something to that effect that that was definitely the right decision to try to blaze your own trail kind of thing and when i met the band i I was i was following the brief because because when i met the band i said what do you want me to do and they said oh we like what you do you should just do that and we'll do what we do and we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. so it was presented to me entirely as an experiment um, not, uh, you know, I, I, w- I was surprised. I thought they would play me their last album and go, well, here's our last album and it's called blah, 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 and it sold this many copies. And do you think you could do that? And I would have gone, I'm quite certain I can't. 
and that would have been the end of it. Um, so I wasn't expecting anything to come out of that meeting when I went to meet them. And uh, but when they said, "Well, you know, we like you, we like what you do, so just do what you do," and that was the brief. So I was never. I mean, to their credit, uh, then no one in the band has ever lent on me to write in a certain way, to sing in a certain way, to wear, you know, to style myself. Uh, it's just been do do your thing, and I've done some things that I'm sure they must have closed one eye and thought, oh, "Are you sure?" But no one ever said it, you know, even when I wore those furry slippers on one tour, uh, which looking back wasn't a great look. Uh, nobody sidled up to me and said, are you sure about those shoes? <laughs> <laughs> They've always given me more than enough rope to hang myself. Cool. Well, look, Rick, thank you very much. Thank, thanks for your time. It's been, it's been lovely. It'd love to see you. Um... It's been a while since we had a family quiz, actually. I was thinking that tonight, just before we started this. Yeah. Uh, we're overdue. Uh, but no, thanks for thanks for coming coming on board. And obviously the other thing is, how did – I actually meant to mention uh, – you mentioned Edison's Children, but you put an album out. Um, was it about this time last year? Uh, well, I've, put, I've actually put out two albums uh, of, of electronic uh, sort of ambient-type music. They're sort of – I mean, Tangerine Dream would be my biggest influence. So if you think Tangerine Dream, then you're sort of in the ballpark of of, of what I do. Uh, and it originally started as just an experiment because of all the COVID free time that yeah. I suddenly found myself with. And and uh, and I started, I, I used to do it uh, back in when I was in college. I had took electronic music uh, as a class all four years. Uh, and we had a lab and did all this stuff. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but I never found a way to get back to it. And I, I learned that, you know, I could kind of do that thing again with the, you know, with the technology that we have now. And I had to take some time to learn that technology. Um, but uh, yeah, I ended up with an album and then I still have more ideas. And so there's a, another album came out at the uh, first of the year. Right. Uh, and those are both available on Bandcamp. We're, rickarmstrong.bandcamp.com I will put a link on the show notes so everybody can go check those check those out Rick it's yeah. been super lovely to see you lovely to see you it's been, it's been too long you um, and, uh, congratulations on the new album Mr. Itch uh, I got a notice today that it's been shipped so um, uh, yeah, I'm well, looking we forward was... to that everything I've heard so far is, has, has been excellent so thank you well done cool. again that's it for 96 other than i've no idea what's coming next with the crooncast and and rick if you've not been keeping track of tcd then this is the bit where we go off and h has spent far too long coming up with some kind of musical climax they've been getting out of hand they have been getting out of hand banana rama last week was something very special you can only imagine <laughs> but i've no idea what this week's is so I'm now gonna I'm gonna take a deep breath and, and hear for the first time. Do I get to watch? Uh, no, you, you do not. You can bugger off back to wherever you are, Cincinnati. Where are you now? Yeah, I'm near. I'm outside of Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With respect. With respect. <laughs> Got it.
Right. <laughs> Let's exit stage left and have a listen to whatever you've concocted this week. Okay, look out. No new beats came this week What am I to do? Give thanks to all of you That's what I will do The roots and the purpose Hope to see you soon Giant steps are what you take Walking on, walking on the moon Rick Armstrong came to call Down on memory lane Golf balls and rocket ships Let aeroplanes We can be together Walking on the moon Neil will live forever Walking on, walking on the moon Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.